You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Team Guru Podcast. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and in this episode, we'll chat with author, speaker, and executive coach, Reepa Patel. This chat drives straight to the heart of what we're about on the Team Guru Podcast. It's a practical guide to mindful leadership how to manage our energy, and priming our potential to become the best leaders we can be. It's all right here, right now. I hope you enjoy my chat with Reepa Patel. Reepa Patel, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you so much, David. Really glad to be here. Pleasure to have you, Reepa. Now, you've written a brand new book, a neat little book, called Elevate, A New Path for Leaders to Navigate Uncertainty. And it's a, it's a terrific size, by the way. It's the kind of size where you think, hey, this has probably got a bit of wisdom in it, but it's not overwhelming. I can probably get through this one. So congratulations on that, firstly. Was the size part of your plan? Did you go about trying to write a very readable book? Absolutely, because my target audience are busy executives. So I know that they don't have time to read a tome. My aim was to write a book that someone could read on a flight, you know, on a flight from here to Brisbane, (laughs) because I know I'm in Melbourne and you're you're in Brisbane. So someone, you know, an easy to read and an easy to apply book. So it's, it's short, but it also has exercises in it that you can go through for each step. Fantastic. And and I'm sure through our conversation, you'll give us some of those exercises or at least explain some of them to us as they become relevant. I just want to tap into what I see as as one of the main points in your book, and and that is the ability to be a leader. We must first learn to lead ourselves, And that's an easy collection of words to say, but it really is an art. It really takes a lot of conscious effort to understand yourself and begin to know how to lead yourself. So that's really what I want to get to in our conversation. But before we get there, I'd love to get your insight on this because I often wonder about this. And I wondered about it when I was reading the beginning of your book. What is going on in the heads of people that we work with? When we look around our workplace, whether it's office land or any other type of workplace, and we look around and we see, we know everybody is battling something. Everybody has something that they're working on or something that they're struggling with or something that they're being careful about or feeling exhausted or feeling overwhelmed or feeling as though they're not getting the balance across their life right. Give us some insight because because then the reason I say that is because when you look around the office, people are keeping it together really well. So is it the case that people are just keeping it together really well and all of the challenges I spoke about are handled in an even-handed manner? Or is there noise going on in people's heads that most of us do a pretty good job of keeping inside? I'd say the latter. So in my experience, it's the latter that we, the facade we show people at work is usually not what's actually going on inside. And there are a, a number of reasons for that. I was speaking to a group of leaders last week and we were talking about the whole concept of time. And, you know, one of the leaders said to me, well, you know, in our organization, we simply just don't have time to do that. That being the particular aspect of leadership that we were talking about. And I said to them that 
time is really a demonstration of, of what you value because I don't know anyone anywhere that has enough time to get done everything that they need to get done. And I work across a number of organizations. So, you know, what was going through that person's mind at that particular point in time, but sorry, sorry about the pun, was that, oh, we're different. You know, we've got so many things going on when in fact, most people I meet have exactly the same issue. They don't have enough time to get everything done that they need to get done, for example, including leading themselves, including how do I deal with the challenges that are, that are in front of me as a person? You know, how do I deal with the things that are going on at home? How do I manage my work-life integration? But also, how do I deal with what's going on in front of me from a work perspective? And, and if I'm a leader, it's not just about delivering my results. It's how do I lead a group of people through that? And then you, you overlay COVID and, and the uncertainty that goes with that you know, that the environment's constantly been changing anyway, but you're adding another layer of uncertainty. So most people are really working, you know, on a day-by-day basis, if you like. It's so interesting, isn't it? When people like you and I who get around different industries and different workplaces from time to time, there's no industry I've ever been part of who doesn't think that they're especially busy. And they'll say things like, oh, no, you don't understand. Around here, we're really very busy. We don't have time for those kind of things. So that head talk, that noise that's happening on the inside of people's head, I'm not surprised to hear you nominate time as being one of those. We're going to get to the answers to some of these challenges soon when I ask you five very poignant questions that you pose yourself in the beginning of your book. But let's dwell on this just for a little longer. The challenge of time is a big one. What else is going on in, inside people's heads that either doing a, a really good job or a, or a fairly good job of covering up in order to present themselves in a, in a kind of balanced way in the workplace? Yeah, often confidence so or a, a lack of confidence. So we all have that inner critic within us, right, that tells us that we're, we're not good enough or what makes us think that we're good enough. So there's, there's that voice that's usually going on. There's the voice of, you know, how do, how can I look after myself when, you know, everybody else is demanding my attention? So attention out or outwards is, you know, sort of being given priority. Often people are dealing with mental health or physical health issues that are not, that they don't obviously talk about. And that can be for a number of reasons. It can be because they're concerned of the judgments that might be made about them at work, or it can just be because they feel uncomfortable about talking about those things. Confidence also in relation to performance. So, you know, hey, the world is changing. It's changing so quickly outside of me. How do I, you know, have I got the confidence? Do I feel confident in being able to deal with that? But also, do I feel confident in being able to lead my team through this mm. as well. How do I keep my team engaged when we've got a hybrid of working from home and working from the office? How do I help my team to manage their mental health and well-being as we go through this current period of uncertainty? So there's actually a lot of things that are going through people's minds. And if you've got major business decisions that are being made and, and implications for your team around those business decisions, there's often anxiety as well around how do I communicate these messages to my team in a way that is constructive and yet compassionate as well. 
Wow, that's quite the list. You've talked about the pressures of time. That was the first example that you gave us. Then we talked about confidence, and that is about confidence in my own performance, confidence in leading myself and leading my team, attention out. So doing everything that I do for others, whether it's in the organization or for my Mm. family or the people around me, people in my team, rather than having time to do things for myself. And that might just be work. And we've all experienced that. We spend so much of our time talking with colleagues or in meetings or whatever it might be that the actual work on our desk piles up and we've got to find time for that. Then, as you point out, there are people battling mental or physical health issues. And then there's anxiety about change and leading change and communicating change in a compassionate way to the people around us. And I'm sure that's not an exhaustive list. I'm sure there is, there is more going on in people's minds. It's, it's almost frightening, isn't it, Reaper? When you think about the, the ducks above the water that we see at work, that people are pretty much keeping it together and presenting a professional front to imagine what is really going on below the surface, how fast people are pedaling their little duck feet. It's quite mind-blowing when you take some time to think about it. Absolutely, yes. And I, I would say that most, if not all, of the people that, that I certainly work with, the, the leaders that I work with, are exactly like that. They're pedaling really, really fast underneath the water, as you put it. But they, you know, it, when you watch them, it feels like they're gliding. And we've, we've kind of talked about these passively as if you might have one of them. You know, the obvious thing is, though, that people are experiencing multiple versions of these things at different times and in different degrees through their days and through their weeks. So often we're working with people who are under time pressure and they've got, say, a physical or a mental health issue and they're feeling anxious about change and, and it all kind of just builds up. The toll that this takes on us as human beings is enormous. Yeah, that's right. And, and we know this, right? So I think one of the, the most critical skills for a leader is building resilience. And, you know, our mental health, our physical health, having a chronic level of stress, having a chronic level of stress all the time, which is what chronic is, mm. depletes our energy system. It also elevates your heart rate constantly. Uh, pumps your body full of inflammatory hormones, you know, the, the, the fight or flight response. And what we know is it's that's not a healthy response for us to reside in. It's a healthy response for us to be in when we're running from a tiger or, you know, when stress is high. So as you say, the all the time piece, that that's the issue. It's everything together all the time with no let up. That's what causes, I guess, compounds the problem around mental health and physical health. And also gives you a sense of, I'm not coping. You know, this is really hard and there's no let up here. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Hey, Reaper, I'm I'm a rugby league man, which is a game that might be unfamiliar to you as a Melbourne girl. But when you watch rugby league at the moment, they're running this really nice campaign about men talking to men about mental health issues. And they've used a bit of footy language to try and get people to relate to it. And I think it's great. It's a, it's a great campaign. And, and there's a whole range of different campaigns around mental health that we're all used to seeing. And they're all very positive. And, and we all see the, the phone numbers you can call after certain news stories. All of that stuff is great. And it's, it's everywhere all the time now. 
And every now and then I take a step back and I think, my goodness, what a weird society we've created for ourselves where we have the most cutting edge of technology. We have all the options in the world. We live a life of relative luxury compared to any any people who have come before us. This is an age of unprecedented luxury for most of us. Yet at the same time, there is all of this help for us mentally because we know through statistics, through people who are not coping, through experiences that so many people have had, that we need more help. Society needs more help with mental ill health. Do you ever ponder on that terrible paradigm between the, the type of life that, that we live conceptually or you know, the one that we show each other on Facebook or the one that we can have if we buy all the stuff that the TV shows us through ads and then compare that to the kind of help that so many among us need? Yeah, so let me first start off by saying I used to play rugby union, not oh, league. So I do. <laughs> as a Melbourne person, wow, impressed. Well, I was born in Africa and grew up in the UK. Okay. Uh, so I I love rugby union and I used to play union in Melbourne. Um, but be that as it may, so I understand rugby union. I'm glad you well. clarified that. I threw you in the <laughs> AFL bucket unfairly. No, I, I don't follow AFL, although Nathan Buckley I do mention in my book around actually this particular thing in, in terms of how he changed his leadership, how he he took feedback and actually changed his leadership to recognize people as people, as opposed to, you know, we've got a goal to win mm. at all costs. And I'm sorry, I got distracted with, with rugby union. So can you <laughs> remind me of what your question was? No, I was really, I was, I was just talking about that contrast between the, the life that we could have, the life that we show each other, the life of materialism and luxury that's at our fingertips, yet we're living in a time of unprecedented mental ill health. Yeah. So if I look at the yogic scriptures, because I work at the intersection of neuroscience, positive psychology and mindfulness or yoga philosophy, the yogis, the ancient yogis would say that this time is no different to any other time and that our the discomfort or the, the dis-ease, if you like, that, that we're experiencing is related to two things. Firstly, our search for perfectionism. So this idea of social media and you know buying into the products, you know, if I buy this product or this house or this car or whatever it is, it's going to make me happier. It's going to fill a void in me. Once I get that, I will be happy. And once I get that promotion, I will be happy. Most of us know that when we get that thing that's outside of us, we feel some degree of satisfaction, but it's fleeting. Mm. And that's the dopamine hit that we get. It, it's not long lasting. And the other thing that we struggle with in and amongst that is change. So if I look at my body, my body is, is changing the whole time. It's aging, right? So I don't want it to age. So I need to look like all those people on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, all those wonderful people that, that have all this work done to them because I don't want my body to change. I don't want to change. I just want to look like I did when I was in my 20s. So those two things, you know, fear of change. And wanting perfectionism is what's driving a lot of our mental health issues around, you know, being able to cope. My book is about change in the workplace, but I, I you know, I'm, I've just talked about change in, in the body. Change is constant. You look outside the window, it's, it's midwinter in Melbourne at the moment, and it, it will be like this for another couple of months and the seasons change. You know, the animals understand this, the trees understand this. 
yet we, you know, I rail against it every every year when we get to winter in Melbourne, I complain about the cold. Here we go um, again. Yeah, my body changes, but we we just don't accept that change. We want to cling on to some kind of ideal and perfectionism, some perfect idea of, you know, who we should be. And social media and, you know, advertising and companies that, that are selling products, they get us to buy into some of that. So if you look at some of the advertising, it very much is about, you know, if you're this type of person, you buy this type of car. So yes, there there is a disconnect, even though we have so much in terms of we, you know, we're all reasonably well off in, in Australia generally, you know, we, we have, most of us have a roof over our heads. Most of us have food on the table. Sure, we would like more, but despite that, we still have high, high levels of and increasing levels of depression and anxiety. And if you look to the, the ancient scriptures, they would say it's because of those two things. It's fascinating. And, and that's a conversation all on its own. And I, I know we're going to head in a, you know, a slightly more focused direction now, but I love talking about those things. And I love getting the thoughts of thinkers like you around that, because it, it is amazing to me. And you know, often I don't stop and think about it because I'm caught up in the busyness of my own life. But every now and then I have that moment of clarity and I look around and I look at the the struggles and, and people deal, you know, dealing with some of these challenges that we've already identified. And and that just sits in stark contrast to this this kind of consumerism world that we're told about from the moment we wake up in the morning. Fascinating stuff. But Reaper, let's talk more specifically about being a leader and leading ourselves within an organization with you know among those battles that we've just talked about and I'll ask you five questions the first is this how do I manage my focus attention and energy so that I don't feel constantly exhausted yeah great question and, and I can answer I could spend the whole sort of day <laughs> answering that uh, that question it starts with defining what you consider success looks like now that sounds really frivolous to say but what I mean by that is encompassing your entire life. So, you know, what does physical success look like for me? What does mental success look like? Mental health success look like for me? If I was thriving mentally, what would that look like? What does a, a thriving family life look like for me? So that's what I mean by defining success, all facets of your life. Unfortunately, as leaders, we forget to do this for ourselves. We do it for our businesses really well you know, visioning what that future looks like, but we don't do it for ourselves. Mm. And once you have that in place, then it's about how do I then invest time and consistency in each of those areas? So if I've already identified what my goals are for the next quarter around my mental thriving or mental well-being, having daily practices that might be small, but nevertheless daily and so consistent, consistent practices that actually add to my mental well-being. So not waiting until something goes wrong, if that makes sense. So I encourage my clients to actually look at all facets of their life and set goals for each you know, area of your life. And that should include obviously physical, and we're very good with physical usually, and we, we know we need physical exercise. So physical, mental emotional and spiritual, all four facets need to be covered. And then once you put in place a weekly plan, a daily plan and a weekly plan around those things, 
then you'll find that your energy lifts and you can also adjust so that if you know that this week's going to be really hard physically, you can actually make some, take some compensating steps in other areas to allow yourself to divert your physical energy towards something that's going to be quite demanding. That's great advice. And I love the way that you've broken up the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual realms of our life. Reminds me a little bit of Stephen Covey and his seven habits. I think he he broke up our lives into the same domains or realms. Makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm going to confide in you here, Reaper, and my listeners have heard me say this a number of times. I struggle with patience or maybe a lack of empathy when I see people doing things that are self-destructive. And I see them craving things that are constant in their life, that there's a constant craving. It controls their psychology, whether it's their weight or their lack of physical health generally, the way they spend their time, their diet, their hobbies and their habits, and then not do anything about it themselves, not take the power that they have to shape their own life. You know, the idea, and this is something I know I've said at least 10 times in my podcast, the idea of staying up late at night and watching that one extra or two extra Netflix episodes in the series that you're addicted to at the moment, rather than going to bed at a decent time and giving yourself the ability to get up and go for that walk in the morning or run or whatever it might be that that gets you up and about and feeling healthy about yourself, then building those habits in your life that make you feel good about yourself and at the same time, take away those things that you loathe about yourself I think I lack true empathy in this because my simple brain is saying, hey, that's a set of choices that you're making and you're choosing self-sabotage right now. Yeah, I think that so from my perspective, this is about self-compassion, mm. you know, and, and self-compassion requires us to know that we, that old adage, right? You've got to put on your own oxygen mask first before you can help others. And often people who have difficulty in doing that the underlying thing that they're dealing with is fear. It's fear of something. It's fear of not watching it, fear of missing out, fear of, you know, not watching that, that extra episode, mm. fear of, you know, look, I've worked all day. I've, you know, put dinner on the table. I, I haven't had time for myself and sitting in front of the TV for three hours until midnight is my time, which we know it isn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, that there are better ways that you can, you can spend your time. That's going to be much more self-compassionate. But I can understand that because there's a fear of, okay, well, if I don't spend this time doing this, then then what have I spent my day on? So often there is an underlying fear is what I find. And, you know, do I adhere to all of this stuff every single day, you know, every single week, 365 days? Of course not. What I do, it's it's what we do most of the time that matters. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in training at the moment, David, and and in, in terms of I've got some physical goals that I want to get to. And I said to my trainer today, this afternoon, uh, he said, oh, how's your weekend? And I said, oh, I had three glasses of champagne. <laughs> so Naughty now, normally, yeah, I oh, know. I don't drink every day, but it was a the friend's 50th and I'd planned for it, right? So did I feel a little bit worse for wear on Sunday morning? Yeah, I did. But I enjoyed those three glasses and, and I, I would not change it for the world. Does that mean I'm going to drink every day? No, it doesn't. So it, it's about what we do regularly. And I think that there's also a lot of pressure on people to be perfect about what they do, you know, in, in that kind of health space. Mm. So I think it's important for people to know that you don't deny yourself 
you just spend most of the, the week looking after yourself from a mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual perspective. And, you know, you can spend the weekend doing some of the things that, that you, you want to do. I like that. It's not about being perfect. It's about what you do most of the time. That's a really nice way to look at it. You're far more empathetic than I am, Reaper. Hey, what's that uh, goal? Come on, tell us. Yeah, this is a great way for you to commit to it publicly, Reaper. You've got to do it now. Yeah. Once you so tell us. My my goal was to get to twenty percent body fat. Oh, okay, that kind um, of goal, right? I was imagining yeah. it was a marathon or a certain event, but it's a very it's it's no. a very objective thing. Yeah, objective, and you know, I, I am I've reached a certain milestone in my life, <laughs> and I was very fit twenty years ago, and I just want to get to twenty percent body fat. I've gotten down to 18% before, and we are doing measurements on Saturday with my personal trainer. So I said to him today, I reckon I'm there. Yeah, I'll be I was, very disappointed if I'm not. <laughs> I was about to ask, you think you're a chance this Saturday? Very good. Well, I'm impressed with that. You know, I've never heard anyone say that is their goal before. I've never heard someone kind of latch on to something so metric. Oh, it's important to me. And uh, the other goal I've got, which is a bit more longer term, is three unassisted chin-ups. Ah, very cool. Oh, good on you. They're, they're really nice goals. Very interesting. All right. Well, we wish you all the best, Reaper. Now, let's keep going. So I just asked you, how do I focus my attention and energy so that I don't feel consistently exhausted? And your answer was brilliant. Define what success looks like in those realms of your life, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. What about this one? Question number two is, how can I get a sense of joy through my work? Because let's face it, even if you're working in the job you dreamed of all through high school or all through uni, when you had to make these big life decisions, no one enjoys being at the workplace nine, 10 hours a day, five days a week, 48 weeks of the year, no matter how close to your dream job you've got. And most people don't have a job that's close to their dream job. But even if you do, no one loves it. No one is high-fiving themselves nine hours a day. How do I find joy in that work? That's a fascinating question. So uh, what we know from research is it's about two things, purpose and flow, the concept of flow. So purpose meaning what is your purpose as a leader? Why do you lead? Beyond making money, beyond you know career satisfaction, why do you choose to lead? Why is purpose important? Because purpose drives performance. So we know there's a growing body of evidence that tells us that those people that have a purpose that is beyond themselves have higher levels of well-being, life satisfaction, work satisfaction, health, both mental and physical, sort of four to five years after that survey has been completed. So that there's a you know a, a growing body of research around that. So finding why you do what you do and then connecting that with the activities that you do every day. Now, as you said, not 100% of things that you do. So admin, is there purpose in the admin that I do? Sure there is, but does it link to my higher purpose? Uh, well, probably not, only in the sense that it enables me. So having structure and, and doing that those admin tasks enable me to do the work that I do with my clients, which for me is my purpose. So finding what your purpose is and connecting to it and finding ways to do that work every day, at least one or two hours a day will, will help you keep connected to that. And 
the second way of doing that around purpose, because people say, oh, how do I define my purpose? I've got a whole process that I take people through. But an easy way is to look at your strengths. And I mean your innate characteristics, not your, you know, PowerPoint skills or, you know, mathematical skills or things, things like that. that. You've learned. Yeah, the things that you've learned. The things that you, you know, your family would say to me, oh, David, David's really good at X. And doing X every day. So finding ways to to mm. do that. Because we know that when you use your strengths, again, from research, you're more likely to experience high levels of satisfaction at work. You're more likely to be high, highly engaged at work. You're more likely to experience flow, particularly if there's a little bit of challenge involved in the work that you're doing. So you're likely to be fully engrossed in what you're doing and and experience a form of mindfulness at work. So it's those two things. It's about finding your purpose and, and living on purpose and using your strengths every day. To find that state of flow. Very nice. I like those answers, Reaper. Now, I'm going to jump ahead here and, and talk about these last two that really interest me. How do I differentiate myself using authenticity? Now, tell us why. Why is it important to start off with that I differentiate myself at all? Because as a leader, there are there's so much competition to start with. And when you've reached an executive level, experience and, and expertise is a given. So people expect you to do a good job. You know, if I'm hiring you as an executive, I expect, I mean, I'll check, you know, in, during the hiring process that, that you have the qualifications and I'll get the references and, and so on, but it's a given. So being good at your job in terms of driving the results that you say you're going to drive is the kind of ticket to the dance, if you like. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's the ticket to the game. Yeah, that's right. It's not, doesn't make you a better player and it doesn't make you a, a player that's in demand. Mm. So you have to stand out. And for a leader, standing out is about how they influence outcomes. So it's about who you are really, because how, you know, how Nathan Buckley influences outcomes is going to be different to how Paul Ruse influences outcomes, you know, as two coaches that they've got very different styles. And that's what I mean by authenticity. People will, through authenticity, you create followship, as I call it. So people choose to work with you. People choose to hire you because of who you are and how you lead not necessarily because you've got a PhD or you're a CPA or you're a lawyer. You know, there are so many of those people around. So why, why should I hire you? And why should I work with you? Why, why should I choose to work with you? That all comes down to authenticity. It comes down to you being your authentic self to be able to stand out. What does that mean to be my authentic self? And I know that's something we talk about a lot. If I want to stand out, you know, by being myself, sure, I'm the best David Frizzell getting around because there's only one of me. But how do I know which bits of me are, are worth emphasizing in the workplace as a leader to stand out in that way? Yeah. And, and that's, that's a question I get asked quite often in the context of, well, I'm not sure that at my workplace, this, this or this would be considered to be appropriate, mm. you know, for example. So most of us have beliefs. Most of us say, you've just told me one of your beliefs, you know, around you believe that you have little patience with, with certain types of people, right? Mm. That makes you authentic in what you've just said. So I say to my clients, you know, write a user manual, a one-page user manual of your values 
and what you don't value and give that to your team and explain that to them. So that's a really concrete way. It's a really practical way of showing your authenticity. So one of the things that someone that I was once led by said to me was, I will always run air cover for you and your team, Reaper. But in order for me to do that, you need to let me know what's going on. So there's authenticity in what he said, you know, no matter what, I've got your back, but make sure that you, you know, you you let me know what's going on so that I can have uh, your back. So it's about looking at, you know, how do I do things and what's unique about my approach to things? What do I believe? The other thing that, another thing that that person said to me is, I believe that everything is soluble if it's caught early enough. So that's another authentic value that he's got, which is come and talk to me. You know, even if you've got a whiff of something going wrong, come and talk to me. Because the earlier Um, you do, the more likely we are to be able to fix it. Absolutely. And he was demonstrating to me that I'm collegiate. You know, mm. I'm not your boss here. I'm I'm here to help you and together. consult with. Yeah, and we're in this together. So so come and you know come and ask me. When you ask yourself, you know, how do I like to operate? Because most of us think, oh, d- doesn't everybody do this? Doesn't everybody approach life or work in this way? The reality is, not everybody does approach things the way we do. Mm. So it's about sitting down and thinking about how do I approach my work? You know, what do I value? How do I communicate? How don't I like to be communicated to? And when things go wrong, how do I like to deal with them? How do I like to be told when things go wrong? All right. And the last question before I, I get you to hit us with your three nuggets of gold before we leave what are your thoughts around confidence? I mean, this is a, a ridiculously big question to ask you at the end of a podcast chat. But <laughs> when it comes to people who are on this journey that you've described and they want to move forward in their career and do work that is more satisfying and has a greater sense of purpose, they do want to be a leader. They want to have the responsibilities and the the enjoyment that goes with that, but they're not feeling the confidence they think they need to do it. What's your guidelines around confidence? Well, you've hit one of the three things <laughs> that I was going to talk about in the next question already, and that is courage. So I say to people, courage is a precursor to confidence. You've got to have courage to step into discomfort in order to build confidence, because you can only build confidence by doing something that you haven't done before or doing it again for the second or third time and doing it well. So you've got to have the courage to step into that fear. You know, we talked about fear earlier. Often we are paralyzed by that fear of, oh, well, what if I get it wrong? Or, you know, what if I can't do it as well as such and such does it? What if uh, I decide to take a promotion and I fail? Well, what if you don't? You know, what Mm -hmm. if you don't take that promotion? What if you're a raving success? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know what? You're not going to get it right. So courage is about understanding that not 100% of the things that you try are going to go well. And that's okay because, again, from the wisdom traditions, they talk about, you know, learning from your failures and that your failures are actually a bigger teacher because a teacher keeps coming, they say, and, and the message gets harder and harder to learn until you actually get it. So it's about courage. It's about understanding that you need to step into the fear and use your courage to gain the confidence. Nobody will give you that confidence. I've never known confidence to be developed in the absence of courage. It doesn't happen in my book. 
that is a really good piece of advice. I'm, I can't stay where I am and wait until I grow more confident because I'm not going to grow more confident until I have this, exactly. the courage to step into something that is uncomfortable and something that I've never done before. It's a really nice piece of advice. All right, Reaper, we've got a couple of minutes left. Hit us with your three gold nuggets. Someone's listened to you in this podcast. They love what you're about. They love the messages that you've talked us through. What is something that they can cling on to so they remember these tomorrow and next week and next month? Yeah. So consciously making courageous decisions with compassion. Conscious peace, that is about managing your mind. So how do you connect to your purpose? What is your purpose? How do you connect to it every single day? How do you make deliberate decisions during the day without being, you know, drawn in by emotion? And what are your strengths? How do you step into that authenticity? Consciously making those decisions with courage. So the courage piece we've just talked about, that builds confidence. So so courage is really about your gut. It's about building the confidence. So that in the yoga tradition, it's the chakra that's in your belly area that controls courage. It controls who you are in this world. And so that's about stepping outside of your comfort zone to build that confidence. And then finally, compassion, which underpins all of those. So self-compassion, it starts with are the things that we talked about earlier. So building resilience. So managing your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energy on a daily basis and a weekly basis so that you're building your resilience bank account because you can't draw from a bank account that's empty. Well, you can, but you know what happens. You get an overdraft, right? (laughs) You get into debt. uh, There are all sorts of problems. So if you think about a debt of energy, it's a depletion, which ultimately over a long period of time leads to disease, right? So it's about how do I, how am I filling my bank account every day in small ways in, in those areas so that I can deal with the turbulent and uncertain times that are happening. And I can deal with the fact that I don't control what's going on 100% of the time, and that's okay. They're very good pieces of advice to leave us with. Reepa Patel, I've really enjoyed having you on the Team Guru podcast. I've loved it, David. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And that was Reaper Patel. I really like her style. Smart, gentle, compassionate, but all in a really purposeful way. And some great advice in there. Manage your focus and energy by being really clear about what success looks like for you in those four domains of life. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Find joy through your work by seeking purpose and flow. Nail down and practice describing what you do, how you do it, and what you believe in, and develop confidence by finding the courage to step into discomfort. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Reaper on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn. And join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.